Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Giorgio, that's how to say it? It's Gergo, actually. Gergo. Oh, a very hard Gargo. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, this is hard. Okay. Well, well welcome. Uh, Thank you. You're the first student from Hungary. I've had many students from Eastern Europe around and uh, other European places, uh, mm. but uh, not not from Hungary. And so uh, welcome. Glad to have you. Thank you. Uh, we had just begun to talk about the kind of practice that you have been doing, yes. which is very similar then to the noting method of the Mahasi of note what it is, note it again, take a look at it, go yeah. deeper into it, yeah. see that dukkha. If you see that dukkha causing that dukkha, then you go look at that other dukkha too. Yes, yes. And so the deeper you go, the more into the dukkha that you get. And this is what will lead to things such as were referred to in the West as dark night of the soul, which is actually way overblown that normally what happens when people are practicing a dukkha form of meditation is that they wind up being afraid and dissatisfied and miserable, and they want to make a big change. When they really get dissatisfied and want to get out of it, that's when they have the opportunity to actually start practicing correctly. But some people will practice meditation for 50 years and not get dissatisfied enough to want to make a change. Okay. But you can, if you understand it correctly, start making those changes immediately. I would love take to. Here. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's also what happens when people talk about it in the sense of choiceless awareness, to just be aware of what's going on. But that may work for the outside world to just observe what the outside world is doing and mm -hmm. just remain choiceless about it. But that's not going to happen on the outside if, if it's happening in, on the inside that you're yeah. choicelessly aware of all the suffering and the dukkha that you have. But yeah. not making any choice. It just keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. And uh, also it's like uh, what I feel is, is that uh, the same things actually do come up. Maybe some days difference, but, but they don't dissolve. They don't disappear. Just like one after the other and, and they do come back. And then you are there again witnessing them. But nothing happens to them. Uh-huh. That's right. That, in fact, is the promise that the things will dissolve. But they don't until yes. the practitioner recognizes that he has to make a change or that he does make the change without even recognizing it. And hmm. then he says, oh, they did dissolve. No, they didn't. You threw them out. That's how they <laughs> dissolved is you had to make a choice. You had to put some battery acid on them for them to dissolve. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Things are not going to dissolve on their own that in fact, when we keep doing it over and over again, we're just building up the old bad habit. Doing the same thing wrong over and over again just puts us in the habit of doing it over and over again wrong and expecting new results. But the teachings yes. of Buddha is much more like what Bhikkhu Buddhadasa said when I asked him about this very thing, because I was practicing that method, uh, that at first you don't succeed, try, try again, just keep going. And he says, oh no, oh no. If at first you don't succeed, look at what you're doing. 
And that is a major change to start looking at what we're doing rather than looking. it's, it's a subtle, different change. Instead of just noting the dukkha and just seeing what's going on in the mind, now we're going to draw back a bit and watch the fact that the mind is in dukkha. It's not wholesome thoughts that we're just yes. investigating or looking at unwholesome thoughts without seeing them that unwholesome. And if you can see them directly as unwholesome, then instead of continuing to have those thoughts, you'll throw them out. Oh, that is unwholesome. So basically, the first noble truth is not how well do you know dukkha and how deeply you've gone into it to see it. The better question is, how quick can you recognize something as dukkha so that you can avoid it? Mm. Mm. Totally makes sense, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we're going to just see it because enough. the first one, the first one is like uh, it's also like psychology. Yeah, psychology does that. Psychology gets to know dukkha, gets to know uh, the the mechanism of suffering and like how it's built up and everything. But it doesn't really help. People are still mm-hmm. suffering. They go to psychologists. They understand themselves better, but, but nothing actually changes. Nothing substantial. Right. So something but is wrong. It's yeah. also possible for them to go and see from the psychologist what they're doing, and then they can begin to be satisfied with the way things are, and that is the change. We actually mm-hmm. make the change, mm-hmm. but many of us, if we're making improvements, we make that change ignorantly. We mm-hmm. begin to do the right thing, but we don't even know that we have chosen to do the right thing. Okay. Here we're going to consciously choose to make changes. That's the real effort of the Buddha. The right effort is to make a change. Okay, so let's review the Eightfold Noble Path just a little bit so that we can get some context in here because that's really what we're going to be practicing. And that the Eightfold Noble Path is just merely part of the Four Noble Truths. That in fact, uh, it's in the sutras that the Buddha says more than one place and more than one time that he only teaches one thing. The only thing he teaches is dukkha, dukkha naroda. Just three words. The entire teaching of the Buddha is wrapped <laughs> up into just one little phrase, dukkha, dukkha naroda. Mm-hmm. Now that's three words. I like a four-word uh, phrase. And that is, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> we recognize the dukkha as, or the worry as dukkha, and we throw it out and be happy. That's all we need to do is just don't worry, be happy. But most people in the West, that with the way that you were taught, is, oh, you got to look at the dukkha, you got to see the dukkha, you got to make sure that you know what dukkha is. Yes. How deep into the dukkha do you go before you hit whatever there is that well now for the moment we'll call rock bottom? Because what is rock bottom is when you recognize that this is low enough. I don't need to go any further than that. We've got to get out of it. Okay. <laughs> That's what they talk about when people um go to AA is because they've hit rock bottom. Yes. Some people do hit a rock bottom before they're willing to make a change when they reckon. But when you recognize that you sunk into Dukkha as far as you're willing to go, that's your rock bottom. And now we're going to start making changes. 
because the direction that we're going is going to keep taking us deeper and deeper into even a deeper rock bottom. Is going that rock's going to get harder and harder, but there's no bottom to it. (laughs) (laughs) Until we make the decision that this is the bottom, and now we got to do something about it. So this is very much intentionally oriented not passive, that this is actually an active practice, this Anapanasati based upon the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path. So the real question is how good at you are at seeing Dukkha at a distance? Mm -hmm. And you catch it quickly enough. The example would be that you've got someone off in the woods there that's a good bowman and he's got arrows and he just shot an arrow at you. And you're not paying attention because you're looking over in this direction and the arrow comes from over there. And that arrow hits you and you get wounded. You go to the hospital and he got all kinds of problems because he got shot. But if you'd looked over at the time that that arrow was in the air, you could have dodged it. That's what we're going to be practicing is to practice. Is your sati fast enough so that you do not get hit with one arrow after another, after another, after another, a whole battery of them? that in fact we can see them as they're in the air and step out of the way. What is sati, may I ask you? May I ask you what is sati? Sati is actually to remember. Okay. To Mm. remember to look at what's going on. Sorry. Yes. So that's like when, when 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 you practice the breathing meditation is the moment when you realize that you're actually listening to your breath, right? Instead of when getting lost in thoughts. That and... you're right. Okay. So in the breath meditation, uh, the Mahasi method is to just note the breath, to just watch it. Mm-hmm. No, we're actually going to use the mind to control the breathing. But in order to control the breathing, we have to control the mind. And so this is an issue of control. This is not passive allowing anything to happen. Yes. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> and how we make it happen is by taking long deep breath now it doesn't have to be super super long or super super deep it just needs to be longer and deeper than normal breathing that actually if people are just watching the breath in a passive way then the mind will run away from the breath very quickly very easily yeah it's quite shallow it's quite shallow and up here very shallow but if you grab hold of that thing then it's unlikely for it to escape. And so we're going to take the sati to remember that this is going to be intentionally a long, deep, easy, relaxed breath. And then Mm. we're going to remember that this out breath is a long, easy, relaxed out breath. Mm. And by doing it this way, we're actually getting better breathing going. But in fact, we begin to recognize that our life depends upon our breathing, and yet we don't pay much attention to it at all. That you could go for a month without eating, you go for a wink without drinking water, you can go a whole lifetime without getting laid. Many thousands, millions of people went a whole lifetime without ever knowing what an automobile was. But every one of us can't go for five minutes without taking the breath. That's how important the breathing is, and yet we don't pay much attention to it at all. So now we're going to start paying attention to it with loving kindness in the sense of 
nurturing ourselves by breathing well to give ourselves that life. If we're taking good, natural, long, deep, easy breathing by mindfully intending to do that, the body becomes vibrantly alive, tingly alive. We bring the body up, but meditation, people think of it going deep into meditation. We're not going down. We're not digging holes. We're floating off into the wild blue yonder. That's actually so true. So true that people think of meditation as like wanting to penetrate something or like uh, just get to the bottom of it, just like just finally read something uh, uh -huh. with with our mind piercing through. And we're going to practice getting away from it all, getting away from all of that. <laughs> Sounds so relieving. <laughs> <laughs> really does. Yeah, right. A lot of people have that insight. Gosh, why was I practicing going deep into suffering when all I have to do is just not step in? <laughs> Check it out, see what's coming before we, we get into it. Or the worst, though, that happens is we have an unwholesome thought and feel bad, and then we'll repeat that unwholesome thought and feel bad, and then we repeat that unwholesome thought. And getting it all, an example of that would be writing an email to your boss or maybe rehearsing an argument that we had with uh, Aunt Susie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that we, we rehearse and go over and over and over again, all of these unwholesome thoughts, which means that we've been spending much of our lives talking ourselves into feeling bad. But now it's time to remember that we've got a choice and that we can, in fact can talk ourselves into feeling good. Amazing. That's what we're going to practice is to remember, to wake up, to recognize that we have um, uh, a kind of a job to do is to look at what the mind is doing, mm -hmm. to recognize what is dukkha and what is not dukkha. And if we see that it's dukkha, the Buddha actually had a phrase for this. His phrase was, aha, I see you, Mara. Well, that aha, I see you, Mara, is a very happy, glad way of talking as opposed to, oh, no, here it comes again. <laughs> yes. Which is the way that yes. most Westerners think about it. When they say dukkha, they say, oh, no, here it comes again, which means that it strikes them. But if you can have it in the mind and then you can see it and then you say, aha, I see that dukkha, it's already being chased out. And that's what we want to do. Aha, I see you, Dukkha. And then we take a deep breath. Wow, I'm glad I don't have to think about her anymore. I could be here yes. and just take it yes. easy. I don't have to worry about that. So whatever we're worried about, that means that's a repetitive, unwholesome thought. It's repetitive over and over again, and it's unwholesome because it doesn't make us feel wonderful and beautiful and nice. It makes us feel like we've got work to do. Yes. So the actual way of them thinking of it is, aha, I see you, Mara, is the only work that needs to be done. Is to wake up, take a look at it, and then change our attitude from, oh, no, there it is again, into, aha, I got this wired. I can handle this. I really so, like this approach. It, it doesn't have any weight. It, it's not uh, heavy. <laughs> well, this is the Eightfold Noble Path. This is the Buddha's approach. 
how Western mentality has so messed it up, I'm not really sure. <laughs> that's that's the way that we mess it up is we don't recognize that because it's actually right there in the suttas is very clear that any unwholesome thoughts that are in the mind recognize them as unwholesome it takes the right effort to change those thoughts from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts in mm -hmm. sutta after sutta the buddha talks about the five hindrances the parsanarva and yet the mahasi method teaches you to continue to practice meditation while the mind still has hindrances in it. Where it's very clear in the sutras, you got to get free from the hindrances, and then the noting has some value. In other words, when we're actually noting, if we're noting unwholesome things, then that's what our life is. But if we spend our time noticing wholesome things, then that's a whole new life. Of just looking at mm -hmm. what's wholesome. As it arises and passes away in myriad manifold ways, everything is okay, everything is wholesome, everything is fine. But do that's a real that, change. Do you think that this period uh, of uh, of like falling into dukkha is needed for people to like wake up from it and like decide that they don't want it anymore? I mean, like this period of trying to trying to be aware, oh, like choiceless. Yes. I I would agree to that. But then the question is, how deep into it do we have to go? Where <laughs> yes, is our yes. rock bottom? That yeah. in fact, just putting my toe into battery acid is enough for me to say, hey, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I don't even want to put my toe in it. I want to test it first. But I think most people much... jump this whole hog right into it. Oh, this is meditation. Let me just jump into that big vat of battery acid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah. But I think it also depends on what kind of people you meet in your life, because for me, for example, uh, having the talk with Alex yesterday changed lots of things and we were just discussing it briefly and then he pointed me to your videos and then I felt like a relief, like something like, yeah, it's actually nice to just be calm, be chill, have, take it easy. But uh, maybe some people just don't meet uh, this type of practice like ever or maybe it takes years you know and they they go follow the wrong direction well actually they're they're following the direction that they're taught yeah and they continue to do that and sometimes developing some really good skills one mm -hmm. of the skills that they do develop is the skills to wake up and take a look but they're not developing yeah. the skills to do something about it nor yes. are they developing the skill of the right attitude of, I can do this. But it's actually quite possible. In fact, it's noted in the literature that when people hit rock bottom, whatever that rock bottom is for them, that's when they make the choice, I've got to get out of this. And so they yeah. make that choice on their own. And the better way of doing it is just to recognize from the very beginning but yeah. we've got to make a choice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very you rare that, that people do that. I think it's not so often because we are so conditioned to, to to fall into the suffering and, and uh, try to distangle it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so this is what right practice is. The four uh, uh, aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path. 
Those four things are number one, sati to remember to practice. It doesn't matter what skills you have. If you don't remember, you know, I, you may be the best, uh, let us say, bricklayer in town, but you can't lay any bricks because you forgot to bring your tools. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way that we think of it. Number one item is to remember. Number two skill is to remember to do what? To look. To really look at what's going on. Mm -hmm. To recognize what is a pile of bricks and what is a wall and what is cement and all of that kind of stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. Which is basically, is this thought wholesome or not? Is this thought that I'm having right now? Because quite often you'll wake up and say, yeah, everything really is good. My thoughts are really all right. Things are good. <laughs> Great. That happens occasionally. That, and the more that you practice, the more those kind of thoughts will be there when you wake up and check out what kind of thinking you got. Good to go. Got that one. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, most of the time, when we wake up to look at what we're thinking, it's an unwholesome thought. We're judging it anyway. That in fact, we get really judgmental with ourselves and that most of the unwholesome thoughts are about some rule or some criticism. Yes. That this is good, but this is better. I yes. like this, I don't like that. Okay, totally. and so yes. it's got to do with, with craving and longing and wanting yes. and grasping. But it's also that grasping is done according to a set of rules, set of standards. In other words, what you should want is what you want. But if you don't have the rule about you should want that, now you don't have to want it. Yes, that's that's true. Okay. So everything that do you think everything we want is is kind of like learned? You just learned well, it. Well, absolutely. That when a child is born is more or less born as, as a clean slate. Now there is some genetic stuff going on, but yeah. the learning is all done. And that is and learning is not necessarily receiving information that that's what they think of in school is that the teacher has to stand out at the front of the class and spout juicy knowledge. And that's her job. And it's the child's job to absorb the knowledge, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's not learning at all. That's why schools fail. What learning really is, is the ability to receive data put it in place, figure out what value it has, and then put it to good use. Mm. So actually, the uh, it, it's not that the mother bird ate all of that fish. It's that she ate it and kept it so that she could regurgitate it and give it to her babies. It's not what comes in, it's what comes out. Yeah. The results. Okay, that's the important part of learning. If you learned it and it just stays inside and it doesn't affect anything, then it's no good. Yeah. But when you remember to apply it, to put it yes. out there, now that's real learning. So this is yes. why it's a yes. learning process. The skill development is that we've got to put this stuff into practice. Mm -hmm. We've got to remember to take a look and make a change. And to change is from being dissatisfied into being satisfied. And we keep practicing that over and over again. We also mm. bring in the mind and the breathing and the body with that. Because we start paying attention to how nice this present moment is 
It's sensory awareness. The body feels good. The wind is blowing. The shirt cloth is on the touch of the skin. We can feel the rising and falling of the chest and everything is okay and in order. Everything is fine. And so we begin to nurture the mind by telling ourselves everything is okay. Everything is fine. Mm -hmm. This is not choiceless awareness. This is very choiceful. Yes. Very yes. choiceful. Instead of just letting whatever is in the mind go, no, we're going to say, aha, I see you. Throw that out and come back and talk to ourselves basically about this present moment because this present moment is real. It's wholesome all by itself. I can breathe. I'm still alive. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> It is important to talk to the students about that whatever you need or whatever you want, you could probably do without it for a while. Mm. For instance, if someone's hungry, well, they can go for a month without eating. If we're thirsty, we can go for days without drinking, but you're not going to go for five minutes without taking a breath. The breathing keeps you alive. And so we could begin to get very grateful for how nice it is to stay alive by breathing by breathing well. And so we pay attention to the breathing. We put some skin in the game. The example of that would be that if you're watching someone else play a video game, then you may be watching, but you're not watching the very technical details of his hand movements for the mouse and when he clicks and all of that. You just see the results of the game. And if yeah. somebody calls to you, you'll go pay attention to them. But the guy who's playing the video game, he's going to be in the game. He's not going to be easily distracted. This is the way that we're looking at the breath. We're going to actually treat the breath as if it were life-giving a game. And we're not mm -hmm. going to get distracted from that. We're going to start mm -hmm. paying attention to what's going on in our, in our little world. Not in the sense of being involved with a video game. But here, the video game mm -hmm. is our existence in this moment. The location that we're in. That a mm -hmm. lot of people think of the world as out there. We sometimes have the image when we think of the world as either an icon or a picture of the planet Earth. Right? Uh, something really big. But the reality yeah. is, is that your world is the world of your senses, is what you can see yes. right now in front of yes. you, what you can hear at, at a distance. Sure. So your world is at best 50 meters. <laughs> yeah. And the air in there is life-giving. And so paying attention to what's real is not paying attention to the world of ideas. That when we mm -hmm. think of Chicago or Atlanta or Budapest, Budapest is just a concept. Yes. Yes. Just a mental concept that what's real is the four walls, the dartboard, the earphones, the clothes you're wearing. What's real for you is what you can touch, taste, uh, hear, see, smell with the senses. And everything else is a mental construction. Yes. And so uh, being in the reality of it is what we mean by sati, to remember to look at the fact that we're caught up in our mental concepts. We're caught up in our criticism, in our critical thinking, and make a change into the nurturing thinking 
about how nice things are right now. These are the wholesome thoughts, and these would also be considered gladdening the mind. The gladdening the mind is to actually pay attention to what's so nice just happening right now. The sun is shining, and the birds are singing, and the breeze is blowing. Yeah, it's hot, but I can handle that, too. <laughs> and everything is okay. And so this is the way we practice. But if we start thinking, oh, it's hot, and I don't like it, Maybe I should go buy an air conditioner. Now that's Duca. Mm. Going shopping and spending money and plugging in electricity and using a bunch of electricity and then putting pollution in the air is just a vicious cycle because I don't like it when it's hot. In Thailand, I got a much easier solution to it. And that is if it's hot, go take a bath, go take a shower. Mm. Taking your off is optional. Why don't you just step under the shower with your clothes on and just get all wet and everything, and then you'll stay cool. Yeah. <laughs> and taking a shower is very easy to do. It's easy, right? So you could think of it like this. There is once a book uh, that I knew of way back in the 1970s that said uh, the title of it was The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Well, if lazy enough, you're already enlightened. So the guidance <laughs> is to become lazy. Okay. And then you're already light. That when we're lazy, that means that we're not carrying a bunch of heavy things. We're not burdened yeah. down. Yeah. So set it down and be easy. Be I'm lazy. quite lazy. <laughs> I'm quite lazy, actually. Well, this is probably the only place that you'll hear that that's the way to go. Being lazy, <laughs> it's the way out of our society telling us that you're lazy. Mm. And we don't like that. We don't like being accused of lazy. So look at all the work that we're doing just to prove to ourselves that we're not lazy. And I'm saying, okay, I'm lazy. Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> <laughs> it's really good to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. That you probably heard of the uh, old um, show or statement of you don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. That, it, our society runs that way. Guess what? Millions of people don't work and they eat. Uh, children, old <laughs> people, yeah. many millions of monks and nuns in all the various religions, they don't work and they eat. I'll tell you another group, and that is politicians. Politicians <laughs> at all. Yeah. But they eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, we can find a way to where we don't have to work so much. And how we do that is by figuring out when we're doing work that's unnecessary. That in fact, if we can change our attitude, it's not work anymore. In English, we have the word employment, which is kind of neutral, but the kind of words we use is job, work, labor. Yeah. Those are all uncomfortable things, and people do yeah. those things. Yeah. They work to eat. Well, he could do the same job. In fact, it's not a job. He could have the same profession, occupation, or employment, except now 
It's a joy. It's a toy. Mm -hmm. Bricklaying does not have to be work. It can be fun. Painting a fence does not have to be work. It could be fun. That in yeah. fact, there's a very famous book uh, by in America by um, uh, Mark Twain, and mm -hmm. and the name of the book is um, let's see which one is it is um, Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer, yeah, right. And in the book, Tom Sawyer, his uh, aunt tells him he's got to go paint the fence. Yes, I remember. And he and takes the prizes for giving the job away. Right, and when his friend Huckleberry Finn comes by, Tom shows him how much fun he's having. Yeah. And, and, and so Huck wants to do it too. And so Huck has a whole lot of fun painting the fence. <laughs> yes. All right. Tom, Tom so, gets to go away. Well, that's how we should learn to live our lives. Base pa uh, fence painting is optional. But the point is, it's not whether you do the job or not, it's how you feel about it. That if it's a toy, if it's a game, if it's fun to do, then we can put our skin into it and really get some benefit out of it. But if we do it because we're supposed to, or because we're supposed to look at the Duke, because someday the Duke will, will go away, it will dissolve. Now, that's like painting the fence. That's a lot of work. But the only joy we're going to get is when the fence is painted completely. And now I can rest because the fist paint the, the fence is completely painted. This is the way that we look at meditation also. Instead of let's just have fun doing the painting. We're not worried about whether we get finished or not. Another way of thinking about it is uh, the difference between uh uh gaining a score right now that you scored and you score. What is the score? Aha, I see you, Mara. That's the score. That's the work that needs to be done is to see the unwholesome thought. Mm. But we don't do it that way. In fact, what we're taught instead is not to score, but to keep score. What do you mean by that? To score and to write it down and then to score again and make more points and to yeah, score yes, again. Yes, yes. Yeah. And to keep score. That's what we do in sports is they keep score and then the score and the score keeping is more important than making the score. The making of the score is done right here in this moment, but scorekeeping lasts for years. A great source of argument and discussion and frustration when they could be just making more scores right now without keeping tally. So this is a way that we can begin to live our lives as we stop scorekeeping and just start scoring. Can I ask you, uh, what do you consider an unwholesome thought? Because there are so subtle thoughts, even like, you know, like you wake up and you think, oh, I should, um, I should do this. So maybe in two years I will have like, uh, um, like a house you know like whatever like those conditioned thoughts it's not always obvious what is unwholesome and what is not how do you how do you see okay. that that's that's a good question for the beginners to ask and mm -hmm. the answer is fairly complicated so let's look at it in this way some thoughts are obviously and clearly unwholesome yes like i'm not Certain lucky or like i'm like bad that. yeah 
Yes. Like, or, or I'm going to get my revenge on that guy. I'm going to yeah. finish that argument. I'm going to go to town and get what I want. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go rob the bank. I'm going to make plans to harm people. Yeah. These are obviously clearly unwholesome. Yes. All right. <clears throat> so that's the place to start with the unwholesome is things that are harmful. And we know that they're harmful, but we'll have those thoughts anyway, that we take some sort of gratification and delight in harming people. Yeah, I can see that. He did yes. you dirty and you're going to dirty him up back. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Thought, so thoughts of revenge, thoughts of getting even, thoughts of um, uh, justice, those are all unwholesome thoughts. But thoughts of rehabilitating, thoughts of fixing things up, thoughts of patching up a friendship, those would be wholesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so there is a, a place, in fact, that we could say that some thoughts are absolutely, without a doubt, wholesome. Yes, I can see that too. Yes. Okay. Like uh, friendship, joy, uh, thoughts of uh, everything is okay, thoughts of uh, the work that needed to be done has been done. Those mm -hmm. are the kind of thoughts that are wholesome, which leaves a huge, huge area in between. The thoughts of somewhere in between wholesome and unwholesome and that this is now your job as the meditator as to where you're going to draw the line. Mm. Mm. Okay. And so we start way over there with almost everything is either wholesome or we're not sure. And we're going to start avoiding just the unwholesome that we can see. But as <coughs> we try, we begin to start moving that um, balance point yeah. to more and more wholesome. So that's that's actually uh, the answer to that is you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. But here's so, how you do that. But also the system, as I understand you now, the system will get more sensitive, right? So it's more as you purify it more and more, it, you will get the sense of it and then you will become more sensitive to maybe right. something is like a little unwholesome that you didn't see a year ago. And now you see that this is not what I want. Is it something like that? Yes, so like that's exactly right. better and better. Okay. okay. Now, uh, the Buddha talks about it like this in the sense that we do what we do because we get some sort of gratification. Mm. Even if we're groveling and apologizing, we do that to get some sort of gratification out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. We will bow and scrape to the emperor because he, we get to keep our head. So we do a whole yeah. lot of really stupid things because we get some sort of advantage out of it. An example of that would be like Homer Simpson loves donuts. He gets great gratification out of eating them. So he eats the whole box full, all right? Yeah. yeah. Then he gets sick and he goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you're so fat, you're so overweight, you've got diabetics, you've got heart problems, you've got uh, cholesterol. You're going to have to lay off the donuts. If Homer can hear that and get it, that donuts are dangerous, he'll begin to avoid them. He'll begin to plot his escape from them. 
so that he doesn't think about donuts. He stays away from the uh, break room where the donuts are. He doesn't go down the aisle where the donuts are sold in the grocery store. So we began to do it like that. So when we began to see certain kinds of thoughts as unwholesome and un unuseful for us, or better way of saying that when we see that the gratification that we have in some thinking has drawbacks, it has dangers. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to see the danger, we can also see that sometimes the danger outweighs the gratification. Now that the danger, because we can see the danger, is growing bigger than the gratification, now we're willing to give it a go, give it a, you know, throw it out. That yeah. this is now seen as unwholesome because the danger of that kind of thought is um, dangerous. So here's an example of that is getting angry. We get, most of us get great joy and satisfaction out of being angry. It makes us feel powerful, not weak. It makes us feel like we're going to get our way. Mm -hmm. In fact, yeah. generally, when we are angry, we don't get our way. It makes us powerful only because the underlying is the fear. So the mm -hmm. one who is, is acting angry is almost always trying to put on the show of being powerful and strong to where, in fact, deep inside, he's a victim. He's mm -hmm. lost something that we get angry when we're losing something or in the danger of losing something. I can see that. Something. I can see that. Yeah. OK, so when we begin to see the real issue and we can recognize then that the anger has drawbacks. Anger is dangerous. It's in danger of destroying the relationship with the person. But in fact, if I'm angry at him, getting what I want from him is going to be remote. But if I'm very gentle and kind and friendly to him, he may give me what I want. Yeah, yeah. So we begin to wake up to the things that used to give us gratification. And now we begin to see the dangers in them. We're willing to put them aside. So this is what we the value of the Anapanasati is to note what's uh, the gratification and the danger. If we could see the unwholesome part of it, it's easy enough to throw it out. But when we only see the gratification in it and don't see the danger, that's when we'll keep doing it. And so what students have in that kind of meditation, then, is that they get gratification out of wallowing in the dukkha. I understand. What gratification? Well, I'm at least making progress. I can at least see what the problems are. But then the funny thing is that the thing that is getting the gratification is the dukkha itself, right? Because it can go on and on and it can uh, have the motion going on. Yes, yeah. that's the whole danger of it is, is that we don't get satisfied with it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That, we, that we get not satisfied, but we get gratification. And so that's one of the skills that we begin to understand is the distinction between satisfaction and gratification. We get gratified by taking revenge, but we're never satisfied. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Okay, and so if we can become completely satisfied, then we don't need gratification. Because we're really, truly satisfied. So 
so then what then the things that you do like maintaining a friendship or like uh taking care of your loved ones and th things like that then it's just out of like satisfaction like love but you don't you don't expect to feel better from it or uh, it's not a good feeling yes you could say that that satisfaction actually uh you're looking for other words to describe it but basically satisfaction has the quality of this is okay this is good enough it may not be perfect it may not be great but i'm i'm satisfied with the way things are mm -hmm. as opposed to being dissatisfied which means we want things to be different mm -hmm. which is which is dukkha wanting things to be different than they are is dukkha being satisfied with the way things are is sukha so I how think, do we do i think that, do the, that go ahead sorry sorry for interrupting i just wanted to say that i think that the choiceless awareness awareness thing is like a great way to be okay with whatever shit show is going on in in my mind and emotion and stuff but but it doesn't change the environment that I'm sailing in, you know? It doesn't change ah, that the sea is crazy. The, the point is, is though it's a lot of work to be yeah. satisfied with the shit show. When yes, exactly. exactly. Do, you could change it. Just to, throw, just to throw the shit show out. Yeah, yeah, I can see that now. Yeah, and now, I just I'm just trying to put the pieces together uh, for myself, the difference yeah. between the two approaches. Yeah, to really just change the mind, change the thought that we're having, and eventually we begin to change our attitude from the attitude of being a victim of the world into being a champion of your own mind. That mm. you mm. can handle this. It doesn't matter what happens with the world. If I see it coming, I can dodge it. That's great. All right. So let's finish now. I think that this has given you something that you, that you could go with. Yeah. And next time yeah. that you call, we can go a little bit deeper into uh, Sati and the other parts of the Eightfold Noble Path. Okay, that would be okay. great. So what uh, do you think, when, I, when should I call you again? In how many days? I would say uh, uh, half a week to a week. Give it okay. two or three days, get, get some practice in. Get some okay. results. Get yourself into a state of satisfaction. Yeah. Okay. Or if you get yourself into a great deal of dissatisfaction, call me then too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Damarato. It's great to meet you. It's been a nice yes. time with you. One hour. Yes. It's great. Yes, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you. I will call you again then in some time. Have All a right. nice day. Goodbye. Yes, we will see. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.